Chapter 16 of the Amaseth Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Amaseth Cross by Fergus Hume. Chapter 16 Recognition. The court near Maidenhead was Lord Sharvington's chief country residence on account of his proximity to London. It was a modern mansion, built in early Victorian days, and, in accordance with the taste of that period, had no great pretensions to architectural beauty. In fact, it might be called ugly, and it was a huge, staring barrack of a place, quite out of keeping with the beauty of the surrounding grounds. These were of large extent, and so admirably laid out that they made up for the deficiencies of the building, which, after all, was comfortable enough within doors, if its external appearance was uninviting. Modern luxury had made the many rooms very habitable, and the barn, it looked like a barn, was furnished with the magnificence of Aladdin's palace. Lesbia arrived with her hostess in time for afternoon tea, and was speedily introduced to Lord Charvington. There were at least ten guests of fashionable London stopping for a few days, and while Lady Sharvington chatted with these, her husband made himself agreeable to Miss Hale. She was very glad to find Sharvington so agreeable and sympathetic, for naturally her first plunge into society made her somewhat shy, and her host was particularly attentive, quite in a different way from Lady Sharvington's careless hospitality. After a few minutes' conversation, Lesbia felt as though she had known him for years, and was soon quite at her ease. In fact, Lady Sharvington, at the other end of the room, cast a displeased look in Lesbia's direction when she heard her laughing so gaily, and saw how her pretty face was wreathed in smiles. Sharvington was making a fool of the girl, she thought, and indeed privately deemed it foolish that he had lifted the girl into a circle so alien to her ordinary life, since she had neither the money nor the experience to sustain her new position. However, Sharvington had made a point of his cousin's daughter being asked, so Lady Sharvington gave way, as she always did to her husband in small things. Sharvington was a tall and somewhat stout man, with a fresh-colored face and leonine masses of white hair worn somewhat long. He was clean-shaven, with merry blue eyes filled with vigorous life, and possessed a strong, calm voice, sympathetic and sweet. His manner was brisk and lively, and more suited to youth than to age. Not that he was so very old, for he certainly appeared as lively as the youngest man in the room. Everyone in the West End knew Lord Sharvington, as he was rich and kind-hearted, two things which begat a very agreeable reputation. Many a young man had to thank Sharvington for help and advice, and in an unostentatious way he did a great deal of good. When Lesbia talked with him and became acquainted with his personality, she no longer wondered that he had acceded so readily to her request for a loan. The purse of such a genial man was always open to the needy, and very often to the undeserving. "'I'm glad you have come over, Lesbia,' he said admiringly, as they sat in a quiet corner of the room, far from the chattering guests. "'Hale did not tell me that you were so pretty. By the way, you must not mind my calling you by your Christian name. I knew you when you were but a baby, and it is my privilege, as your elderly cousin, to be familiar.' "'I am very glad you are familiar.' said the girl, lifting her eyes to the strong, kind face. And I cannot forget that you sent me that fifty pounds so kindly, 
without asking what I wish to do with it. Pooh, pooh, that is nothing, child. Who should help you but I? Whenever you are in want of money, write to me, and you will receive a check by return of post. I am your cousin, you know. And a very bad cousin at that, added Charvington with sudden energy. I should have had you here long ago. You must have led a dull life in Marlowe. No, answered Lesbia quietly. There was always George. Who is George? The man I love. Oh, Charvington's eyes twinkled more than ever. You are engaged. Yes and no. The man looked puzzled. What do you mean? I don't like riddles. Lesbia sighed. It is a riddle, and a very painful one. For that reason I accepted your kind invitation and came over. I want to tell you what I did with the fifty pounds, and also I wish to ask your advice. I shall be delighted to give it, but surely your father... My father? Lesbia checked a scornful remark which was on the tip of her tongue. My father would take no interest in what I wish to tell you. Charvington bent his brow and looked at her thoughtfully. "'You shall come to the library in the morning, and there we can have a chat,' he said. "'Only one thing I ask you now. Your father does not treat you badly.' "'No,' faltered the girl, looking down. She could not betray her father, although he had behaved so ill. "'My father is—well enough,' she ended lamely. "'Harumph,' muttered Charvington, with his eyes still on her face. "'Well, well, we shall see. Meantime, have some more tea.' and he walked across the room to have her cup filled. No more was said for the time being, but Chavington's kind manner made Lesbia more determined than ever to confide in him. She believed that she had at length found a friend who would aid her to withstand the tyranny of her father, and who would assist to put things right with her lover. They were crooked enough now, in all conscience. Moreover, in any case, she was forced to show him Canning's letter, so that he might provide against the projected burglary. If she told this much, she would have to tell all, for only by making a clean breast of it could she be extricated from the mire into which she had sunk through no fault of her own. All that evening she longed for the morning, so that she might tell her new friend the many difficulties which were making her miserable. Not that the evening was dull. On the contrary, as the mansion was filled with lively well-bred people, it was quite a revelation to Lesbia in the way of enjoyment. Everyone seemed to be happy and untroubled by care, which contrasted strongly with the incessant worry which went on within the four walls of Rose Cottage. These society people, outwardly at all events, seemed as careless gods, happy, merry, and gloriously irresponsible. Later in life, Lesbia learned what sadness lurked under this frivolous, laughing exterior, but at this time she was quite deceived, and thought to herself, How happy are the rich and well-born! Lady Sharvington's two daughters, not yet old enough to be presented, were very nice girls, though they were decidedly plain-looking. But they appeared to have none of her mother's jealousy regarding Lesbia's beauty, and made much of her. She found herself laughing and talking and entering into their girlish lives, quite as if she had known them for many years. Lord Sharvington seemed particularly pleased that this should be so, and presided over the trio like a benevolent wizard. For the most part, Lesbia was with the two girls during her visit, in spite of the attentions paid to her by sundry youths smitten by her beauty. Seeing this, Lady Sharvington became much more gracious, and inwardly decided that Lesbia Hale knew her place. 
All the same, she was a trifle uneasy at the way in which Charmington hovered round the pretty visitor. Not that she cared over much for her husband, who was older than she was. Nevertheless, she did not like to see him paying marked attentions to anyone else. On the first evening, there was a small dance after a very splendid dinner. Lesbia, in her simple white dress, attracted much notice, but she preferred to talk to Agatha and Lena, Lord Charmington's daughters, and to laugh at their father's mild witticisms. During a lull in the dance, there was some singing, and towards the end of the evening an excellent supper. Lesbia retired at midnight, while yet the festivities were in full swing. This was at Lord Charmington's express wish, as he did not approve of youth losing any necessary beauty sleep. When she laid her head on the pillow and was falling asleep, Lesbia confessed that she had enjoyed herself greatly. If George had only been present, the evening would have been perfect. Next morning, Agatha and Lena awoke her early and took her round the grounds. The girls exchanged confidences, chiefly about school life, ran races on the dewy sward, and entered, filled with the joy of life, to eat a surprisingly good breakfast. Lady Sharmington was rather astounded at Lesbia's appetite. So pretty a girl, she decided, should eat less and talk less. But Lesbia, although a fairy in looks, could not live on fairy food, and enjoyed to the full the excellent meal provided by the very capable chef of her host. Horrid, greedy, pert girl, thought Lady Sharmington, who was all smiles and attention. I am sure I don't like her. Quite a needless thought, as she already heartily disliked her visitor for other reasons than because she was pretty. But these reasons Lesbia did not learn for some months. Then they did not matter, as life had changed by that time for the better. After breakfast, Lord Charmington carried off his pretty little guest to a noble room filled with books, and placed her in a most comfortable armchair, took his own seat at his desk. "'Now, my child, what is it?' he asked. "'It is rather difficult to begin,' faltered Lesbia, feeling as if she had the fatal letter in her pocket. "'Not with me, my dear. You know that you can trust me implicitly.' "'Yes,' said Lesbia, raising her clear eyes to the kind face. "'Well, then, I shall begin from the time I gave George the Amethyst Cross.' "'What?' Charrington's ruddy face grew pale, and he pushed back his chair with considerable violence. "'The Amethyst Cross?' "'Do you know anything about it?' asked Lesbia, astonished by his change of color and evident emotion. "'It is lost, you know. Stolen.' "'Who stole it?' demanded the man, mastering himself with an apparent effort. "'Listen,' said Lesbia and related everything, from the time George Walker had proposed to the moment of Lady Sharmington's arrival at Rose Cottage. But for the moment she said nothing of the letter from Canning. That could keep until she heard what Sharmington had to say to the first part of her story. And it may be mentioned that Lesbia spared her father as much as possible, while explaining her difficulties. After his first violent movement, Lord Sharmington listened in dead silence, and his color slowly returned. With his eyes averted, he heard the whole extraordinary tale without interruption, and only when it was concluded did he speak. Then he gave but small comfort. I cannot understand what it all means, he said slowly. I shall see Hale, and doubtless he will be able to explain matters. But have no fear, child. If you love George Walker, you shall marry him. I know Mrs. Walker, and I knew her husband. A wild fellow was our Walker, but not without his good points. "'And you won't let my father have me watched again?' said Lesbia anxiously. "'Certainly not,' cried Sharmington fiercely. "'If I had known that, I would have—' "'But that's neither here nor there. 
Your father owes me too much to disregard my wishes. I shall see that he leaves you your full liberty, and that he consents to your marriage with George. I hope he is worthy of you, my dear. Uh, George, I mean, he added wistfully. Oh, yes, he's the dearest, sweetest, best. There, there, Charrington smiled a trifle dryly. I can see that your heart is set upon being Mrs. Walker. Very good. I shall see that George has an opportunity of earning money, so that you can marry him. And the cross? Never mind the cross just now, said Charmington hastily. I shall have to see your father about that. Later we can talk on the subject. But this Tate, he drummed anxiously with his fingers on the table. I knew Tate many years ago. He always was a scoundrel, although I did not think he would go so far as to join himself with professional thieves. Oh! Lesbia drew the letter of Canning from her pocket. I forgot. Read this, Lord Sharvington. It's a warning. Only don't tell the police. Her host mounted his pisnez and read the missive in surprise. His face grew a dark red, and he muttered a word which Lesbia luckily did not overhear. Then he folded the letter and placed it in his pocket without remark. You won't tell the police? said Lesbia again, and still anxiously. No, said Sharvington, rising. From what Canning found out before, I believe Tate is in this business also. I don't want, for several reasons, to make a scandal connected with the man, although he deserves to be jailed for life. Still, I shall take precautions by having the house watched. Also, I must get my wife to put away her jewel casket in the safe. She is very careless about her jewels, and leaves the casket in her bedroom, sometimes in her drawer or wardrobe, but more often open on the dressing table. The maid should put it away, of course, but she's a half-blind old creature who was my wife's nurse and neglects things. But today is Wednesday, and the burglary is arranged for tomorrow evening when we dine. I shall see that my wife puts away her jewels tomorrow evening. I shall go to her room and see that they are safe before I go to dinner. But why not today also? asked Lesbia anxiously. The burglary is not until tomorrow evening, child, said Charvington kindly. They are safe until then, as they have been safe for years in spite of my wife's gross carelessness and trust in her neglectful old nurse. No, my dear, you have given me a needed warning, so it is no use bothering your head further. Tomorrow I shall make all safe. When these two thieves find that the house is guarded, they will not attempt the robbery. Will you warn Lady Sharvington? What, and have her fall into hysterics? No. I shall merely see that the jewels are locked up nightly after tomorrow, and have the house watched for a week or so. My wife need know nothing, my dear. I shall keep my own counsel, said Lesbia, rising to leave the room. But I do wish you would have the jewels put away tonight, Lord Sharvington. Well, he smiled kindly, perhaps, as you are so anxious, I shall. But as we know the time and date of the projected burglary, there is no need. Lesbia went away, comforted to think that Sharvington now knew all her troubles and would help her when it was necessary. Doubtless he would procure George a good situation, and then she could marry her lover. But the emotion of Sharvington, when the Amethyst Cross was mentioned, puzzled Lesbia greatly, as there appeared to be no reason for it. However, she comforted herself with the reflection that, as he had promised, he would explain everything when the appointed time arrived, and went to enjoy her holiday with the two girls. The enjoyment took the form of a picnic, and a run down the river on Lord Sharvington's fine steam launch. When the girls were out of the way, Sharvington sought his wife and pointed out to her the folly of leaving a case full of rich jewels on her dressing table. They might be stolen, he remonstrated. 
Lady Sharvington was not at all grateful. "'You are always making a fuss over the jewels,' she said impatiently. "'I have left the case in my bedroom for years, and I have never lost a single thing.' "'That doesn't say you might not lose the lot,' snapped Sharvington, who found his wife trying even to his kindly nature. "'There's time enough to talk when I do lose them.' "'Then it will be too late. I ask you to put them away every night in the strong-room.' Bertha can take the case there, when she has dressed you for dinner. Very well, said Lady Sharvington, who was impatient to return to a very interesting book she was reading. I'll tell Bertha, though I'm sure if the case is in my bedroom, she can look after it well enough. Pooh, she's half blind. Why don't you get a better maid? Bertha's been with me all my life, and I shall keep her until she is past work. You have no heart, Sharvington, she ended virtuously. "'She's past work now,' said her husband, as he stalked from the boudoir. Nothing more was said, but had Sharvington been in the house on that Wednesday evening, he would either have asked his wife if the jewels had been put away, or have attended to the matter himself. But during the day, he suddenly decided to go up to London in order to see a private detective whom he had employed before on various delicate matters. It would be just as well, thought Sharvington, to have this man in the house on Thursday evening.' Then, if the two thieves alluded to by Canning did arrive, the man could lay hands on them. Not that Sharvington wished to make it a public case of the matter, since, as he had hinted to Lesbia, he was anxious to avoid scandal in connection with Tate, whom he shrewdly suspected of having a hand in this new piece of rascality. For this reason, he went up to London to engage the private detective, and remained in town for the night. Next day, he proposed coming back with his assistant, and then the matter could be settled quietly. Lady Sharvington would not lose her jewels, and there would be no trouble, publicly at all events, in connection with Mr. Michael Tate. All that Wednesday, Lesbia enjoyed herself on the river with her host's daughters, in spite of the launches breaking down temporarily on the way back, in consequence of some accident to the engines. Consequently, it was not until seven o'clock at night that the three girls arrived in Maidenhead, and it was thirty minutes past when they came to the court. Lady Sharvington, who had been anxious about their non-arrival, expressed herself as annoyed at their failure to be in to dinner, which was at seven o'clock. She sent a message saying that Agatha and Lena were to dine in their schoolroom with a governess. Lesbia, feeling herself a culprit, although on the face of it not one of the three was to blame, decided to dine with the girls and to make her apologies afterwards to Lady Sharvington. And a very merry dinner they had, for the governess was a charming middle-aged lady who made everything very pleasant. And then the love of Agatha and Lena for their newly found cousin grew with every hour. On the whole, Lesbia enjoyed that schoolroom meal more than the splendid dinner of the previous night. She was the more pleased that she had remained absent, as she was told by the governess that Lord Sharvington was away in London. After that merry meal, Lesbia went to change her dress in order to go down to the drawing-room. Agatha and Lena followed to chatter and help, as they did not like to be separated from their visitor. Lesbia's room was on the first floor, near that of the girls, and on the way the three had to pass the door of Lady Sharvington's bedroom. It was closed, but as they passed they heard a shriek of alarm, and opening it at once saw one man escaping by the window, and another struggling with Bertha, the ancient maid. Agatha and Lena ran away screaming for help, but Lesbia dashed forward to help the old woman. At that moment the man, who wore a mask, threw Bertha on the ground and ran toward the window. Lesbia caught him before he could fling his leg over the sill and tore off the mask. Then she uttered a cry of dismay and terror. Father! she shrieked, and dropped down in a dead faint. 
End of chapter 16. Recording by Todd.